Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. We are going to get back into our uh, sermon series on the Psalms, and uh, today is not the, not the plan. This is not the plan that I had prepared for today. I, I don't know if you know this. Um, I'm a planner. When it comes to sermons and, and writing and all the things, I tend to plan out sort of embarrassingly far into the future. Like if you ask me what I think we might be doing in August of 2023, I think I have a sense for it, and I actually may have already kind of framed it out. Because... To me, there is a certain liturgy, and there's a, there's a flow, and there's a, a way that we kind of move through the world. And so as we're paying attention, I sort of start planning way out in advance. And so for this series, I had, uh, it was probably late April, early May, when I finished this sermon, and I was ready to come in and preach this thing, and it was already done. It's been sitting in a file gathering dust for a long time. And, uh, and then it, it didn't work out the way that I thought it would. Uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us a nudge, and it is our responsibility to follow. And so I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and, and I don't know how you do vacation, but I do vacation fully unplugged. I don't really know what's happening in the world. I don't really want to even care what's happening in the world. I just sort of blindly make my way for a week, and I disconnect, and I decompress. And so uh, it so happened that while I was on vacation, the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade. And I didn't even know about it. Yeah, you can clap for that. You can be excited. And this is something that uh, many in our community have been fighting to see overturned for five decades. And I hadn't even really heard about it. I came back on a Saturday, and then we had a church on Sunday. And uh, I kind of drove in, walked into the firestorm that is our current culture in our world. I, I was driving down Worcester, and I said, who are these people, and why are they holding signs, and why does everybody look hurt or scared or angry? And I realized there was a firestorm, and that it was going to mean that today we need to unpack some of that together. Uh, because as, as modern evangelicals, especially multi-generational, in a multi-generational church, there's a lot of viewpoints and a lot of feelings and a lot of cultural influences. And so the way we think about uh, big issues and the way that we approach people, which is ultimately what God has us here to do, is to follow him and then love his followers and his creation. Uh, the way we do that matters. And so I'm going to start out simply and then we're going to get uh, kind of more complicated as we go. Simply, at the very beginning, we would say this. If you have a God-centered worldview, and this is important, so, so there's multiple ways to look at, at the world. You can look through a God-first lens, or you can look at any other lens you want, a culture-first lens or, or you-first lens. But if you have a God-centered worldview, which means if you start with, on the first day the earth was formless and void, and then God breathed and God spoke and created— if you start with Scripture as God's Word revealed, God's law and His heart and His character laid out for us, if you start with Scripture as inerrant and true, so if you start from a God-centered worldview, then, then part one today will be pretty black and white for you. It's pretty clear. Gray will begin to enter the picture because we move into the messiness of human existence. We move into the brokenness of uh, the modern world. We move into the fall. And in those gray spaces, what I'm going to challenge you to do is um, find radical love and grace. So if you hear nothing else, radical love and grace is what is required. 
Here's the thing. If you try to read God through the culture, if you don't start from a God-centered worldview and yet you start from any other place and you read God through that filter, you end up creating a God that fits the filter. You create a God that fits the culture. And so we have gotten ourselves into quite a, a problem in our, I would even say, in our faith. We have too many faithful people that are reading God through a cultural filter and trying to discern who God is through the filter of culture instead of starting with God and then reading culture that way. Because what we end up doing is we make a God in man's image to fit our culture. And yet the winds of culture change and the winds of culture go back and forth and the winds of culture will always be moving. And so what we hear in scripture is an unchangeable God, an unshakable God, an eternal God. What we have is a God that is morphing with our culture if we're not careful. Let me explain it this way. The God of the average 1800s white Southern Christian in America was pro-slavery. The God of the average Christian white Southerner in the 1840s in America was pro-slavery. The average white Southern Christian in 1840, and we're generalizing, I didn't know any of them, that average person supported ripping a precious family apart chaining them in the cargo hold of a boat, and then selling them at auction if they survived the trip. Then, if they made it that far, they would subject them to a life of whip-enforced, tortuous labor in the American South. And the average Christian in the 1840s in America justified this using their Bible. If you want to read a book about what that journey was like, you can read a book called The Half Has Never Been Told by a guy named Edward Baptist. Yes, I'm, me and Stephen have read it. These, these people in the 1800s, they read their Bible through a cultural lens and then justified atrocity on the other side. And now looking back, we would go, what a mistake that was, to read your Bible through a cultural lens and, and then the atrocities happen. So in the moment, some had the courage to read the culture through a biblical lens. They flipped it. Some had the courage to read the culture through a biblical lens to look from a God-centered position, and that changed everything. Because God is preeminent. Because God is unchangeable. And so before we even get into any issue ever in our culture, we have to decide, are we starting from the place that God is the center or where culture is the center? What do we believe? As a church, we believe that the God of the universe is the author of life and that protecting life, every life, especially the vulnerable and the least of these matters deeply. The last line of our statement of faith is actually about this exact thing. So if you're a member here, you've signed this document. I'll just put it on the screen. We can read it together. The last line of the church statement of faith states this. The church believes that all human life is sacred and created by God in his image. Human life is of inestimable worth in all of its dimensions, including pre-born babies the age, the physically or mentally challenged, and every other stage or condition from conception through natural death. The church is therefore called to defend and protect and value all human life beginning at conception. This is what Covenant Church holds in our statement of faith. This is rooted in Psalm 139. We'll put that on the screen. We'll read that together. The psalmist writes this, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days 
ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I am awake, I am with you. That combined with Genesis 1 and 2, that that the God of the universe was preeminent, that when the world was formless and void, God spoke and created with a word. The word of God went forth, and from it came creation. Those two things together create a really specific picture, that God creates and God intentionally knits us together. Psalm 139 is, is saying that you were not an anonymous group of cells until you emerged in a delivery room. That can't be, those things don't match with this. That you were actually you. That you were you in the womb. You were designed by God, the same God who designed the galaxies with a breath. He designed you, knew you, and had numbered your days. Had ordained the way you would walk, knew the path you would take. He knew you. And God saw your unformed body and knew you. So, so that's why we want to clap and celebrate. That's why we want to be excited about the recent changes because all of these God-created lives that won't be lost as a result of abortion, we get excited about that. Because God, we believe God knows the baby in the womb. And yet if you would listen through a scientific lens, if you listen through a cultural lens, those, those markers keep changing. It's interesting, in, in a hospital, if you look at the age of viability, it's, it's coming forward, isn't it? 50 years ago, a baby was viable at what? How many weeks in? And then as technology increased, it was 26, and then almost 24, and then my wife and I have friends who had a baby at 22 weeks. And that, that number keeps coming back, and we're like, well, it either is or isn't viable. What, what are we talking about? It's, it's a fully created human And if we're trying to measure how we feel or how we legislate or what we believe based on the science of when we can effectively take something from the womb and and allow it to live freely in the the given world, that's the backwards way of looking at it. We go, when God creates at the moment of conception, that is a a God-created life. And then we pray for the science to catch up to say, man, I wish wish we could do it from from the first moment. I wish we could keep these children safe and, and raise them well. fearfully and wonderfully made souls that are knit together and woven with love and intentionality, created to reflect his goodness and give him glory, created to be a mirror to God's majesty. Sometimes you have to think about what losing them would have cost the world. This is a hard thing to do because when something is taken before you've met it, if I told you about my friend you'd never met, you'd be like, I don't know, that's your friend, I never met him. It isn't until we meet the people who we otherwise could have lost that we begin to realize what's at stake. How precious and beautiful their lives are, even in the complicated and heart-wrenching decisions to keep them. So I think of Ava. Ava, you want to come up here? Ava, Ava wants her story told. I asked for her permission. Come on up. Ava, I brought tissues for me more than for you, okay? Okay. Ava... When uh, she, her mom went in for a 20-week appointment, they were going to learn the gender. Is Ava a boy or a girl? And the doctors found that there was no amniotic fluid. They said, this child is not viable. 
we're so sorry to tell you there's no fluid. So it would be to your best interest to go ahead and terminate the pregnancy. It would be your best interest as the mother. It would be your best interest. It might be dangerous for you to carry this child because this child is not viable and will not make it. So, and they said, are you sure? Terrence and Allison tell me there was four doctors who confirmed that. You need to, you need to go ahead and eliminate this child. Terminate the pregnancy. I said, it's not viable. There is no fluid. It's probably chromosomal. It's nothing you did, but it's time to get rid of it. This couple had been through incredible loss already. So this is devastating news, that 20 weeks in, you know what a sonogram looks like at 20 weeks? That's a baby. So they said, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're going to pray for a miracle. Terrence and Allison said six visits later. Doctor said, I don't know how this happened, but there's fluid in the womb now. And at 32 weeks, little two-pound Ava Armentano showed up. Yeah. Ava, how old are you today? Ten. Ten. Ava is maybe the sweetest child I've ever met. She gives the best hugs in the whole church. I'm sorry, it's true. She comes to school here at the Christian school, and I will see her during the day. And although she is also the most obedient child you'll ever meet, she will run out of line and come over and give me the quickest, most perfect squeeze and then run back into line. Ava, thanks for coming up here and sharing your story. We love you. She's precious, and the world gets to see her. I think of Stephen Van Holland. We met Stephen, then, I think, last year, maybe the year before, when he was here at uh, the local pregnancy center's fundraising gala. Stephen is the result of uh, a mentally handicapped 18-year-old woman who was, um, there are kids in the room, so we're going to say was brutally assaulted by a gang of men. An 18-year-old mentally handicapped woman who maybe has the uh, cognitive abilities of an 8- to 10-year-old was brutally assaulted by a gang of men. The state mental institution where this woman lived told her she needed to go ahead and terminate this pregnancy. She didn't have the capacity or the function to bring it to term. For some reason, she resisted, and she chose instead to leave the state mental institution. She carried Stephen then to term while living homeless in a cardboard box behind a grocery store because she had no other option and she didn't know what else to do. She brought him to term, successfully gave birth, and immediately gave him up for adoption, hoping there might be a family that could take care of her boy. God gave him a loving family. His name is Stephen Then, which is a name you haven't heard before, Stephen Then, because she said his name should be Stephen, Then, and then the last name. And they were like, they wrote Stephen and the last name, and they showed it to her. She goes, no, I said Stephen, Then, and then his last name. And they went, Stephen Then? And she goes, that's correct. And so he is Stephen Then. He's Stephen Then Holland. He's a worship leader, recording artist, speaker, and minister. He goes around the country telling people that he was a prime candidate to be eliminated. 
and he's so grateful that he wasn't. At 27 years old, through a chance encounter, he got to meet his mother and thank her for keeping him. And she said, I loved you since you was in my belly. Because he was fearfully and wonderfully made. He is a reflection of God's glory and, and grace, and his beginning was anything but glorious. We are called to defend and protect and value life, lives like Ava's and Stephen's. That's the black and white portion here. Scripture is clear and we cherish that. We cherish the clarity of Scripture that life is valuable and that God is the creator. Because then we move into the messiness of human existence and things begin to get gray on us. And we admit that. We are okay with that. Things get nuanced. Things get painful. And we begin to figure out how do we move through a world where where clarity starts to disappear on down the circumstantial lines. Where creation groans and deep cries out to deep. When we're in those spaces, what do we do? And so I want to address it from two angles, if you'll let me. First, we're going to talk uh, about having grace and love for those who have been affected by abortion, and then grace and love for those who would oppose that God-centered worldview. We'll start with uh, Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 2. It says, Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them, and the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Placing her in his midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground, and one day I'm going to preach this because I think it's so interesting, because I think we have a sense of what he might have been doing, but not today. And they continued to ask him, and he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you preach the first, uh, be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote in the sand on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I read you that part of the life of Jesus because one in four women in America have experienced abortion by the age of 49. One in four. 54% of the women in America that have experienced abortion identify as Christians. What that means is you are in here. So I want to speak to you directly that there is no shame for you in Jesus. There is no condemnation in Christ. Jesus says, who is here to condemn you? He looks around, who of you has not sinned? You cast the first stone. Who of you hasn't had a weak moment? Who of you hasn't made a decision they regret? Who of you hasn't had a tough spot? And he says, then I don't condemn either. The gospel is this, that while we were far from God, while we were lost in our sin, Christ died for us. While we oppressed him and opposed him, he loved us nonetheless. On the cross, Jesus took our punishment. In dying, he destroyed our death. In rising, he restored our life. And Jesus invites every single person to find life in him, true life. The resurrection life that lives beyond shame and beyond pain and beyond the guilt of past decisions. Jesus simply says, follow me. 
Call him Lord. And that just means laying down our lives and, and our way and taking up his life in his way. So Jesus offers grace and mercy. Jesus came to provide healing and hope. Jesus wants you to hear today, if you are one of these women who has experienced this difficult moment in your life, that there is not a wound that God doesn't want to heal. You are not lesser. You are not lost. You are not unworthy. That God came to earth in the person of Jesus precisely to know our struggles, precisely to walk through the hardest moments, to be with us in our most difficult decisions, in our toughest days. I cannot begin to understand the profound fear of being pregnant and not knowing how I will care for a baby. I can't pretend to know that. I can't imagine the feeling of a woman who has been assaulted and carries a reminder of that terror in her womb. I cannot pretend to even imagine that. There's nothing simple there. There's nothing easy there. I cannot fathom having to consider the impossible choice of wife or child. God's heart breaks in these moments because the fall has taken root. Because what was established in the Garden of Eden, what was perfect and planned and set forth and ordered, has become disordered and unraveling in our midst. So you need to hear that Jesus came to rescue and redeem, that every weary heart and every impossible decision is not beyond redemption, that you might experience his love and his grace. God wants you to be released from shame and made whole again. He wants to be your healing journey, and we want to be part of your healing journey. So I'm going to put a, a phone number on the screen. And we'll put this up again at the end so you don't have to feel the need to write it down now. Her Choice is our local pregnancy center. They work with a ministry called Renewed. Essentially, what this is, is a group that has staff and volunteers who have experienced abortion and want to walk alongside women who are struggling, whether it was 40 years ago or four weeks ago. Or maybe it's four weeks in the future and it's scheduled and planned, but it's just a struggle. And this is a confidential text line. It's answered during weekdays, so if you texted it today, you'd hear back probably Tuesday. But it's a confidential text line for you to reach out and say, Man, this is a struggle, and I've never told anybody, and there's so much shame, and I wish I could walk through it with somebody. And confidentially, resources show up in that moment. And so I want to make sure this is here for you, because this is what it looks like to be the church. As we surround each other in our weakest moments, we support each other when things are hard. So we'll put that back up at the end, but it's there for you. So that's addressing people who have experienced this before. Now what do we do as you drive down Wooster and you see hundreds of people that look a little bit afraid and a little bit angry and a little bit scared, people shouting and chanting and honking? What do you do? What's your response? What's our role with those who might oppose the God-centered worldview on this? Matthew 5, verse 38. Jesus says, You've heard it said, Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them and offer the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. If anyone, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those that love you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors are doing that. If you greet only those who are your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We add this teaching of Jesus to the stone-throwing teaching of Jesus. And what we start to see is that we need to be praying for radical humility in this world. We need to be recognizing that we are sinners saved by grace and nothing less. And those who might strike out at you, those who might shout at you, those who might oppose you or oppose God's heart on any issue, because this applies amongst all the things that seem to divide us these days. Those who might be angry or afraid or hurting or shouting. Those who are opposite the place where you find yourself. I would say it this way. To be pro-life is to be for those lives as well. We are to be for those lives as well. Which means engaging and loving and sacrificing. It means listening Because people come to their worldview, people come to their point of view through their own unique story and journey, and if we don't listen, we're never going to understand them, much less have the opportunity to tell them about where we came from. It starts with listening, with praying for them, with hearing stories of heartbreak or hearing stories of worldview, all while holding to the truth you have. We're so afraid of being in the middle. We're so afraid of sliding. Like, if I get too close to someone who opposes me, maybe I'll oppose me in a minute. If I just, like, like is it, are, they're radioactive. I don't want to get too close. I'm going to stick with my bubble. That's not how Jesus lived. Jesus found those who opposed him, those who oppressed him, those who would kill him, and Jesus said, I'm going to have dinner at your house tonight. He wasn't afraid of his truth being sullied by someone who refused to believe at the end of the day. He was willing to engage. He was willing to listen. He was willing to get in the lives and the mess of other people and see, how do I serve you? How am I evidence of love to you? Don't shout with your window down about what you believe and try to get through as fast as possible. It's about deep engagement. It's about real friendship. It's about listening. God's command is to love He says, be perfect as the heavenly Father is perfect. How was the heavenly Father perfect? God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. That he laid down his life for those who opposed him. Jesus laid down his life for those who opposed him. The Pharisees accused Jesus of treason. The religious people, that would be us. When you see Pharisees in the Bible, it's, it's us. The religious people. If we're not careful, we're Pharisees. When we lean a little too far into like rules and religion, we become Pharisees. So when, when you see that, just read that. It's like, oh, if I'm not careful, that's me. The Pharisees, the religious people of Jesus' day, accused him of treason as he dined with the tax collectors and the Roman oppressors. You hear talk on the news about battle lines being drawn on issues. There's battle lines being drawn in the fight against whatever battle lines. That's fine. We just sang a song that says the battle belongs to God. There are not battle lines when it comes to the way we deal with human hearts and human lives. Jesus came to erase the line and make him the way. 
There isn't getting someone over the line to be right on an issue. There's getting them into the presence of Jesus that they might find righteousness in and through him. All we have left is compassionate love and sacrifice. And so to summarize, in a divided world, we are to pray for humility first. Lord, remind me who I am and how I got here. And then we are to practice sacrificial love and grace as we move about a world that may be opposed to how you believe. Finally, before I let you go, Stephen really wants to get out, man. He's like, this is lasting longer than usual. I know. We have time. I'm going to challenge you to activate. So we'll put it on the screen, so I'm going to say it, but I want you to see it as I say it. If we're going to be pro-life in the womb, we have to be actively pro-life in the world. It cannot end with a sign and a Facebook post. It cannot end with that. And Christians are doing this work already. Christians adopt at a rate 2.5 times higher than non-Christians. Christians fund local pregnancy centers all over the country. Christians are doing this work. And so don't let the false narrative create some doubt in you that if Christians, Christians don't care about this side of it, Christians care deeply about this side of it, and throughout our country, Christians are doing this work. And I would say there's room to do a lot more. So what I'm asking you to do is grab a Connect card, and everybody's going to grab a Connect card. And if we don't have enough, I will shout, and Sam, since Sam is closest to the door, will go run to the info center and grab more Connect cards. But everybody's going to hold up a Connect card. I just want to make sure you have one. We got pins. You can share pins. But I'll wait. We got time. My South African pastor used to say, you Americans, you Americans all have watches. We Africans, we have all the time we need. All right. Connect card, you have one. Go ahead and throw your name on it. I am going to ask you to turn this in. If you're a thousand percent sure, this is your get out of jail free card if you're a little uncomfortable right now and you don't want to do this. If you know for sure we have your phone number and your email, you do not need to write your email on there again. You get emails from us all week. You go, I don't need more. I'll just put my name on here. We'll know who you are. That's good. Okay? First and foremost, on here it says, there's three little boxes. The bottom one says, I have a prayer request. Let me come back to where we were a minute ago. If you are in here and you need prayer, support, connections, resources, counseling, anything at all, if you are a post-abortive woman, if you're a woman that has been, uh, been through this, been hurt by this, if you're a man who has been through this and has been hurt by this, if there's something in you that says, I, what I need more than anything before you tell me that I need to go be active, I need healing, if you need healing, write healing on yours. And I will personally reach out, and I will see how can we support you, what kind of resources do you need. We want to be part of that journey for you. So that's your activation. If you need healing, all you have to do is write healing. And if you go, I'm not writing that for you at all, buddy. Great, we'll put that number back up in a minute, and you can do it confidentially. You don't have to go through me. I'm great. We want to give you as many avenues as possible to get right and get uh, to a place of wholeness. Okay, so now you have this. That's been said. Go ahead and put the... the organizations up, Dwight. On your Connect card, 
All you have to write in that comment section at the bottom, those open lines, let me say, any of these four things, you can write any of them down. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I am not asking you or obligating you to serve. I am not going to put you on their mailing list so that you are now permanently a part of their life. I am inviting you to open yourself up to receiving more information. Okay, is that clear? I'm inviting you to open yourself up to receiving information. So what I plan to do at the end of uh, this week, after we collect all these and build a spreadsheet, I don't know, we'll figure it out. We're going to send you next steps of activation, whether it's how do I pray with that organization, it's how do I engage, how do I financially support, whatever it is, we'll give you some ways to engage. Let me explain what they are. Her choice, up at the top right, pregnancy center. That is our local pregnancy center. They do free ultrasounds. They do classes for men and women. They have supplies, a whole closet full of baby clothes and diapers and formula and supplies. They do support from the moment of, I think I might be pregnant, all the way to, I got a three-year-old and I don't know what to do. They also are the organization through whom post-abortive care counseling and support is offered. So her choice, that's her choice. It's our local pregnancy center. They do great work. We have uh, someone in our church who is a liaison for them. We can connect you. We can give you all the information you need. So if you write her choice in your four little lines there at the bottom of your connect card, we will send you just some next steps and ideas on how you might want to get involved. And from there, we'll leave it up to you. You can choose to engage or not. The uh, next one, Open Homes, top left. Open Homes is our local foster and adoption organization, a 360-degree support organization that has a goal that no child in Ohio would be waiting for a forever home. If we say we are for life, then when life comes and mom is not ready, capable, or willing to raise the child, that's on us. So, we support open homes as a church. We have a kind of innumerable number of couples and families that have leaned in and have done this work, whether it's fostering for a minute, adopting all together, being respite homes, um, there's a thousand ways to get involved that starts with praying, and there's a thousand other ways to be involved after that. Next, Open Table, bottom left. Open Table says very clearly, relationship transforms community. I would call this life support. Open Table is an organization that uh, says that whatever poverty you have, we want to supply network, relationship, and community to surround you so that you no longer have to live in that poverty. Relational poverty, financial poverty, whatever the poverty. Uh, a couple examples of how Open Table works. In San Antonio, we had an Open Table where we surrounded this mom with three kids. Her husband was incarcerated. They came to our church. She cleaned the church and was a member of our church. And so we surrounded her with an Open Table, which is people she didn't know who said, I will be willing to give up a year of my life to once a week meet with her and decide she's the CEO She's in charge, and we're going to figure out how do we support her towards her goals and her dreams and her life. How do we make her life what she dreams it to be? Because she's doing hard things. And so that's what we did. We had a, an open table in this area of a single mom with five kids. Try raising five kids in the COVID world, in the fast food industry, and the kids are 1 to 11 years old. Good luck. Luckily, there was an open table, a network of people who had connections, who knew people, who could help out, who could offer rides, who could be a part of a support network in the open table. Relationship transforms communities. And so the open table is once we get through that, and how do we keep supporting life? The nest. 
The nest is your bottom right. The nest was born out of her choice. Someone who was working at uh, the pregnancy center said, what happens? How, do we, how are we challenging women to choose life for their baby, knowing that they have no way to raise the baby, continue their education? Like it, Of course they're going to choose to terminate because this seems to end all of their opportunities. And so uh, Tiffany from The Nest started it because she said, we will provide, it's my dream to provide free child care, free Christian child care to any woman who chooses life. If you are trying to finish your degree, if you need help, the nest is there to help. The nest is there to receive your child, to provide safe care and love, support the mom and her work, and to, in that way, not only incentivize life, but to put our money where our mouth is and say, we're here and we're actually going to take care of this baby with you. We're going to raise it. It takes, a, it takes a village. Here we are. So you all have a connect card. Maybe write down one the close of the service, you can throw it in either of these black boxes as you go. I'm not obligating you to do anything. This is your chance to say I'd be willing to hear more about blank. We will send you access to resources, how to pray, how to engage, but today you're just willing to hear more. Why? Because I said it and we mean it, if we're going to be pro-life in the womb, we must be pro-life, actively pro-life in the rest of the world. And this is a great weekend for us to figure that out. And so in the next seven to 10 days, you'll get your first email that says, here's some ways to activate. Here's who you would contact if you want to know more. Here's who you can talk to if you want to volunteer. And we'll start there. But we're not going to dunk on somebody and celebrate and then run back to our Facebook and run back to our Netflix and run back to our bubble. We are going to go out and love this world radically. Every hurting heart every wounded soul, every tough decision, we are going to um, insert ourselves with sacrificial love and humility and grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, your children, and it is overwhelming to consider that you knew us. In the womb, you knew us. That you had ordained our days, that you had numbered our steps, that you knew us. That you formed us. That we are not accidents or incidents. Father, we are not here from happenstance or coincidence. God, I pray that the reality of that would weigh on our hearts deeply, that we would see the beauty of your creatorship. And we would respond to that beauty. We would activate in that beauty to begin to attempt to see that beauty in others. Father, in every life we run across, in every hurting heart that we listen to, God, give us a sense that you are intentionally active in each and every life and that you are choosing to use us to be your hands and feet in this world, to be your love and grace in this world. God, impress that upon our hearts today. Don't allow us to slink back into the shadows, but Father, find us on the front lines with grace God, I pray for courage amongst our people, for a heart of activation and empathy. Lord, I pray for an incredible humility.
as we walk into the world and seek souls and hearts that are hurting. God, more than anything, we pray for your presence, that you would, for those in the room that are still struggling and skeptical, that you would make your God-centered worldview clear, that you would impress upon them your preeminence. Father, for those who are struggling to activate, that know what truth is, but man, it's hard to get out of the rut. God, that you would give us the courage to take a stand, to take a step, to move into the world on the front line of life. God, thank you for the life of Ava. That we get to celebrate what it looks like when you move miraculously. So I thank you for her story and her heart to tell it. Thank you for her parents and their faith. Thank you that they're part of this community that we get to call them our church family. And we get to see in her the beauty of what you are doing all over the world. So God, let her life be a reminder to us as to what is true and what is good about your plan and your purpose about your creation. So Father, we lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not crying, you're crying. We're going to put one more thing up on the screen as you go. That's that phone number again. I said you got it if you want it. You can take a picture of it. Um, we'll put it on Facebook, so if you don't want to do it right now because there's something in you that goes, I just don't want to look like I'm the one calling it or texting it, we'll put it out and you can get it there later this afternoon. I also put my email up here. And what I would uh, promise and, and offer to you is if you want to have this conversation further, if you want to ask some harder questions, if you want to get into the nuance and the, the next level or the next domino and the next thing, if you say, hey, I, I disagree with some things you said and I'd like to unpack it with you, I want to be open to that and humble enough to hear it. Beyond that, we have a team of elders. And so between myself and the elders, I would love to connect you to people who are willing to listen to you, who want to have that conversation with you, who want to hear your heart on these things. We need to have these discussions, and so that's there for you. If you need to say something, if you need to respond in some way, or if you just need to have a conversation that follows up, whatever that means, I'm here for you, we are here for you, and we're doing this together. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon for our live Sunday service at 9.30, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. online. Thanks for listening.